Let us pray. Spirit of life, God of love, open our hearts and enter in, that hearing your word of love, we may become your love for others. Amen. Our scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Listen for the word of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For many of you listening today, I would bet that this is not the first time you have heard these words from Matthew that we refer to as the Beatitudes. You may have been taught them as a child in Sunday school. You may have seen them hung up in a frame on a wall, maybe written in delicate calligraphy or cross-stitched with some floral detailing. Maybe you even have them memorized. With the multitude of ways in which we encounter this text, it is clear that these are words of Jesus that our tradition holds in high regard. There is something about them that encapsulates the message of the gospel and does so in poetic form. This past week in staff meeting, we read this passage together and shared what questions we would ask Jesus about it if we could and what parts of the passage stood out to us. My question was, I want to know what Jesus means by the word blessed. Most of the groups he describes here are not ones we would typically think of as blessed, especially using modern definitions of it. A quick Twitter search of the ubiquitous hashtag blessed reveals that it is most often used by athletes who feel blessed to be drafted onto a team or blessed for their win or their skills. There are also people expressing their blessedness for going on a great vacation or being in the career of their dreams. All manner of good fortunes seem to make one hashtag blessed on the internet. It has become so overused that it is now being used ironically when people are having less than fortunate experiences. As in, spilled coffee all over myself at work today, got a flat tire, and my dog puked on the rug. Hashtag blessed. 
But my suspicion going into this sermon is that the blessed of today's internet culture is not exactly what Jesus had in mind. Jenny Brooks recounted a recent encounter she had with one of these verses and gave me permission to share that with you all today. Jenny was in a gift shop perusing the greeting cards on display. She came across a sympathy card that stated on the front, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, with the inside reading, with deepest sympathy. Jenny said her reaction to the card went something like this. Excuse me? If I had just lost someone or just gotten bad news, I wouldn't want to be told that I would feel comforted. I don't feel very comforted now, thank you very much. And you know what? I think I would have had the same reaction. In the middle of sorrow, I don't think I would want to be told that I am blessed or that I will be comforted. Something about that feels so trite. A quick fix with a snappy Bible verse. If being blessed means to have good fortune or luck in life, I don't think I would feel particularly blessed in a time of crisis. When we look at other places in which the word blessed or the Greek makarios occurs in the New Testament, we see that it does not have anything to do with good fortune or skill. Further on in Matthew, we see that Jesus also uses the word blessed to describe the disciples who listen closely to his teachings. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, they hear. They are blessed because they have been open to the teachings of Jesus and have demonstrated commitment to following him. In this way, blessed seems to imply a connection with God, not a special favor from God, but a fuller experience of God's presence when one follows in the way of Christ. New Testament scholar Douglas Hare writes that the meanings of the words in the Beatitudes do not always reflect what we think from the English translation. Hare invites us to read the Beatitudes in light of the Jewish tradition that Jesus is coming from, and to look at the words of Isaiah 61 as a precursor to those in our text today. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Here, too, we see a prophecy involving a complete reversal in fortune. We see that in God's kingdom, People are not treated in proportion to their station in life, but are granted just the opposite. God's compassion for those who are suffering is so great 
that the only adequate revelation of this compassion is to completely overturn the status quo. And here too, mourning is not referring to a personal loss, which is not to say that is outside the scope of God's compassion, but may not be the primary meaning that Matthew's Jesus has in mind here. As another biblical scholar, Ronald J. Allen writes, Matthew has in mind the mourning of the faithful who recognize that the present condition of the world is far from God's purposes. They see idolatry, injustice, exploitation, and violence, and they mourn. This beatitude promises that they will be comforted. That is, they will see the realm to come. Perhaps this claim is even more audacious than promising comfort to an individual suffering a loss. This claim may just as easily warrant an excuse me on behalf of those working toward justice but seeing little progress, or the Israelites in Isaiah who are promised the restoration of Jerusalem. It is a radical notion to claim that those who have little will somehow receive a lot. Though they may not realize it, the ironic users of hashtag blessed may actually be more in line with how Jesus uses it here, except in his use of it, there is no irony. He promises that in the kingdom of God, this subversion of the norm is the new normal. And maybe when Jesus pronounces that those experiencing suffering are blessed, it is another way of saying, I am with you. I feel the pain that you are feeling, and may you feel my presence in the midst of your pain. Back in our conversation at staff meeting on Tuesday, Barry Oliver mentioned that as a child, he heard the Beatitudes described as the beautiful attitudes. I imagine some of you may have heard this description as well. While this was not a phrase that I remember from my earliest encounters with this passage, the sentiment is very familiar. The idea that each of these verses connotes a posture one might take in order to be more Christ-like. As I read through these today, I do not disagree with this description, but I also think that Jesus is suggesting more than an attitude adjustment. In the shift from verse 6 to verse 7, from those who hunger and thirst for righteousness to the merciful, it seems to me that Jesus transitions from proclaiming blessedness in relation to one's suffering to blessedness based on actions taken on behalf of those who are suffering. To be merciful requires showing mercy. To be pure in heart requires devotion to God alone. To be a peacemaker requires working toward peace. To be persecuted for righteousness sake means one has done something to warrant persecution. And to be reviled because of Jesus, the beatitude directed specifically toward the disciples means that they have taken action that demonstrates their commitment to Christ. Mercy, purity, and peace in particular may sound like attitudes, but I think they are also much more than that. I think in the Beatitudes, 
Jesus is proclaiming the blessedness of those on the margins and calling us to stand on the side of the marginalized. Jesus acts with compassion and asks us to do the same, even when it leads to persecution. Last week in Sarah's sermon, she discussed the immediacy of the disciples' actions in dropping everything to follow Christ. After being called by Jesus while out fishing, Andrew and Simon Peter immediately dropped their nets and followed him. Sarah discussed the difficulty that we, especially as Presbyterians, often have in committing to a decision with this kind of haste. We like to deliberate, form committees, task forces, and subcommittees, and take our time to think things through with care. But there are times when the call is so clear that it requires swift action. And I think in the Beatitudes, which come on the heels of Jesus calling the disciples, we see what is so important that it requires leaving everything else behind. The revelation that Christ is on the side of the suffering, the promise that their suffering is not in vain, and that we too are called to participate in building the kingdom of God through compassionate action. To act with compassion requires that we see each other the way Christ sees us, as children of God, worthy of Christ's blessings and promises. In Richard Rohr's The Universal Christ, which we are reading in our Young Adult Plus book study, Rohr invites us to more broadly consider how we experience Christ in the world and to see Christ in everyone whom we encounter. He writes, Christ is the light which allows people to see things in their fullness. The precise and intended effect of such a light is to see Christ everywhere else. In fact, that is my only definition of a true Christian. A mature Christian sees Christ in everything and everyone else. That is a definition that will never fail you, always demand more of you, and give you no reasons to fight, exclude, or reject anyone. I think what Rohr expresses here is what is at the heart of the Beatitudes. That Jesus demands more of us than a positive attitude. That to follow Jesus requires a hope beyond hope, a recognition of Christ's presence in seemingly impossible people and places, and the courage to follow him and act as merciful, pure-in-heart peacemakers, even if it costs us our status and sense of security. This is hard. I know that I am not living up to this call. I often prioritize my own comfort, my sleep, my stability above anything else. I get defensive when I should take a step back and listen, and make judgments instead of offering mercy. I regularly fail to act as a peacemaker in the world. But I take comfort in the fact that I do not have to do this alone. When Jesus begins speaking to the disciples, he does not lecture from a podium, but he sits down with them. He shows them physically that he is with them now and will be always. And finally, 
Jesus calls them together as a community and not just as individuals. The work of peacemaking is not up to any of us alone, but is up to us as a community of believers. We are in the work of following Christ together. We are in the work of being the body of Christ together. May we see Christ in all, and may we be the hands and feet of Christ for all. Amen.